You are listening to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com with an orchard of wisdom just ready for your picking, filled with illuminating, inspiring stories. Do check out the community and the discovery stores. We are here for you. Our next show is... Hello everyone and welcome to Self-Discovery Radio. My name is Nehemiah Davila, also known as Neo Positivity, and this show is called Thoughts Become Things International, retraining your thought process, and that's what we do. We retrain your thought process to a more positive space. So when you have to deal with the voices, I always say threats both foreign and domestic, when you have to deal with outside influences and the voices in your head telling you all kind of negative things like you're not good enough, you should have been here by now, you'll be able to deal with them a little bit differently because that's what we do. Now today uh, I have uh, someone special with me because uh, for several reasons she's special but the main reason I like to get into is because she's a doctor. She's a psychiatrist, she has a medical background, and most psychiatrists I talk to are all about medicine. They think of thoughts become things and spirituality as like gibberish, you know, as a cop-out. Something that, you know, people are just going to lean on and da-da-da-da-da, and they want to go through medicine. And, and, and so to have someone that's both a fan of the laws of attraction and obviously, you know, being a doctor, she's a fan of medicine, it's it's the double take, you know, it's, you can't go wrong with this. So without further ado, I have to introduce to you guys, Anna Yusum. Anna, how you doing today? Thanks so much, Neo. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I am doing great. She is a Manhattan psychiatrist, like I said, and the author of a book called Fulfilled. And uh, she's involved with a film project called the Open Mind. We'll get into all that in a little bit. But first off, Anna, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Give us your life resume. Sure, sure. So um, I did my medical training at Yale Medical School and my undergraduate at Stanford. And after medical school, I came here to New York City and did my residency at NYU. And although I learned so much in all of my medical training, I felt like something was missing in my life. And that's when... In the midst of a number of challenges, personal, professional, I went searching for what was missing. And that took me to ashrams in India and learning Buddhist meditation in Thailand and going to Israel to learn about Kabbalah and then working with shaman in South Africa and South America and really starting to learn about healing from a totally different perspective. And ultimately, without my expecting it to, spirituality entered into my life, became a huge part of my life and ended up being one of the key tools that I use with my patients and was why I wrote the book, Fulfill, how the science of spirituality can help you live a happier, more meaningful life. So we have someone who's traveled around the globe. We have someone who has taken the college courses necessary to, to, to be the book smarts of life and the spirituality smarts. You can, it's it, it's it's perfect. You know, it's a perfect storm right there. We got everything right here in this interview, and we're going to tackle it. The show's obviously called "Thoughts Become Things." Tell me, how has that phrase influenced your life? First, I want to know when you, where you heard it. Um, the first time I heard "Thoughts Become Things," it was from Mike Dooley. Mike Dooley's a Hay House author, and he writes about the universe. And that was where I first heard it. I believe it was on The Secret or Mm -hmm. another one of his shows. And I love this idea. And I feel that it's very, very true because before something can become a reality in our life, before we can manifest what it is that our heart truly desires, we have to be able to think it, to see it, to visualize it, to make it real in our mind. And then we can draw it to us in this world. 
And, you know, there's a lot of sayings they say, as inside, so outside, as above, so below. First, we have to visualize something internally in order to create it and manifest it in the external world. Now, what was the first thing you manifested? Do you remember? When I first started my spiritual path, which was maybe about 10 years ago, I felt like one thing after the other started falling into place. And it wasn't so much as what I manifested, it was what left my life. And that was a lot of stress and anxiety and depression and all these feelings that I had been fighting using more of a traditional you know, therapy approach and not really focusing on the idea that we're part of something greater, which is really what spirituality is. And I think that's what I manifested. I manifested my own healing and then have been trying to use the ideas of spirituality to help my patients who are open to that to heal as well. Now, it's funny you should mention the patients. You're going to make us jump right in. Drugs versus meditation. I like that's, that's how I like to title this particular topic. Um, I've always hated taking drugs. Like, I don't want to take Advil. If I got a headache, uh, chances are I'm just going to try to eat it. Um, and... Uh, so and meditation you know has its healing properties obviously if you got a herniated disc trying to meditate is going to be you know it's going to be a little bit harder for some reason I, when you meditate just you run more negative scenarios that way so it's like you very very experienced in both uh which do you prefer is it case sensitive how's that how's that go yeah i feel like it's um pretty much case sensitive because if people are able to heal without medication, wonderful. And I have many people come to me saying, you know what, I wanna to stay totally away from medication, mm -hmm. but I'm depressed, I have anxiety, I have a lot of pain, I need to work things through. And unless they come with very, very serious mental illness to the point where they are suicidal or schizophrenic and hearing voices or completely debilitated or acutely manic, in those cases, maybe medication we have to give it more of a consideration. In other cases, there's so many ways to heal. Meditation are being one of them and medication being yet another. So if patients are open to healing without meds, oh, I think that's a beautiful thing. If, however, people come to me having tried so many different approaches, they've tried meditation, they've tried yoga, mm -hmm. they've tried exercise, they've tried all these natural remedies and supplements and vitamins and nutraceuticals and none of them work and they're finally like you know what I've been in pain for so long and I want to finally try for the first time a medication then I welcome that with open arms as well because it usually takes people people don't come to me to run away from symptoms with medication they come to me usually after they've really battled a lot of pain and suffering mm -hmm. and having found no other way they often will turn to medication so those people I certainly support in their quest as well. Now she said pain and suffering, pain and suffering mentally. And that's my biggest thing. My, my, my biggest area that I'm working with right now is, is the ego, that egoic mind frame, the voice that tells you you're not good enough, you're not fast enough, you should have been here by now. That voice that's always creeping in. Now, I, this new approach I'm taking, Anna, is I think of the ego like a lawnmower. And it's coming to cut down the grass. You know, you try to picture yourself in the Bahamas or you got that promotion. Ego steps in and says, that's not where you're at. You're at home. You know, and it comes and cuts the grass down. And since the ego's not going anywhere, the lawnmower's not going anywhere. If you change your thought process from grass to, let's say, a cornfield, 
The blades are still going to come do damage, but it's going to be different. It's going to have a different impact. So I'm trying to reshape and retrain the way people see the world, the way they see everything around them as far as energy, you know, people being unlimited, being able to manifest whatever, having control, you know, over their lives. And, you know, and I try to give people that so that their thoughts aren't as bad. But I want from a, from a doctor slash spirituality person standpoint, when someone comes to you, and um, well, I'll just give you an example right here. Um, the first time I had to deal with a suicidal person, I didn't know what to say. Uh, I just got thrown into the situation because I was a life coach. And uh, I'm very mad at the person who threw me in that. <laughs> but, you know, the first thing I said to that person was, they haven't been nice to you, have they? And the guy looked at me, and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, your thoughts. They haven't been nice to you, have they? And then it was it. I had him from there. We were, you know, and me and him are still cool now. But how is it, I want to know how you first take that approach. Somebody comes to you, their thoughts are running rampant, 60,000 thoughts on average per day per person. They're most on autopilot and mostly going to a bad place. How is it you begin to shift and change their their mindset yeah i actually really agree with you neil about that because i really do think it comes down to ego and ego has many manifestations mm -hmm. the manifestations of ego include anger feeling like a victim pride jealousy hatred control those are all the things that are the derivatives of our own ego and our ego is that rather than making us big, enabling us to step into the totality of our being, our ego keeps us small, keeps us limited and trapped in these little things like hatred and jealousy. Mm -hmm. The opposite of ego, the other side, is our soul. So we want to help people to align with their soul, which is their true essence, their authenticity, and to try to stay away from ego. So then how do thoughts fit into this? The way that thoughts fit into this is because the ego exists in one place, in our mind. Mm -hmm. All of these things, they're not outside of us. They're within each one of us. They're inside each one of us. And the way that we transform it is by becoming aware of them, not necessarily pushing them away, but becoming aware to the point where we can recognize that as a part of us and thereby integrate that into who we are and in that way have more control over those difficult thoughts. It's funny you said push them away. So many people are like, how do you get rid of the ego? How do you get rid of the negative thoughts? How do you get, from the, get, get rid of the fear and the doubt? And I had to tell them, listen, I'm sorry, it's not going nowhere. It's a part of your programming. It's going to be there. So in light of that fact, what can you do? Learn about it. Study it. Everybody's so involved in a rat race. The average response I get from people when I talk to them about thoughts become things for the first time, they've never heard this before, they've never seen the secret, is they say, I don't have time for spirituality, I got bills to worry about. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you just guaranteed more bills, you know what I mean? And, and, and it kind of hurts me uh, to hear them say that. But it's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's sad. You can't, you're not going to push the ego away, so take time out of your busy day and study it. Study it. Learn more about it. And I wanted to ask you something because uh, you're obviously smarter than I am. <laughs> um, to the ego, I've always heard the ego growing up, what people say, uh, conceited. You have a, if someone has a big ego, they're arrogant, they're conceited, which means they're full of themselves. And then 
I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth, and I find out that the ego is the doubt. The, the voice that's telling you, you can't do this. You're not good enough to do that. And it kind of confused me. And I, w I wanted to get your take on how ego can be both conceited and its total opposite, which is doubting yourself wholeheartedly. You t your mind telling yourself you're never going to be able to do that. Yeah, that's such a great question, Neo, because I feel like it's at the heart of what so many people grapple with. Because people want to be confident. People want to believe in themselves. But is that prideful? And is that actually egotistical? And what's the fine line between being prideful and being confident? So in my opinion, true confidence really is humility. It's when you love yourself and believe in yourself enough that you don't have to prove anything to anybody. And you know somebody who's humble because they don't have airs. They're able to be authentic, to be themselves. And you don't really feel like you're competing with them when you're interacting with them. Now, on the other side are all those other things, whether they are pride or doubt or a lack of confidence or a lack of self-love. And all of those actually fuel each other because when we don't have confidence, we doubt ourselves. And when we doubt ourselves, we're going to try to compensate by having false confidence or pride. And then we're going to come off as arrogant and conceited. And then other people get annoyed at us. And then mm -hmm. we're going to be resentful that they're annoyed at us. And then... <laughs> fuels that whole process. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it really does come to believing in yourself, taking care of yourself, loving yourself, and really aligning with your authenticity, who you truly are, and living from that space. And when you have true confidence, it really is humility. You don't need to prove anything to anybody. You know what? It's, it's, it's funny you say that because I've come to just tell people to be conceited on the inside. It is what it is. Um, be conceited on the inside. I know that most people, I, I, I'm going to say everybody, you know, you look in the mirror and you tell yourself, oh, you know, I clean up well. I look good today. The ego kicks in and says, well, you could be five pounds lighter. You know, I think even the most conceited person, you know, I always say we are our own, you know, worst critics. So it's like when you're dealing with the ego, you, <laughs> I'm, it, when, listen, like you said, if you say it out loud and you sound too cocky and conceited, now you got a bad reputation, now you're feeling bad that people are thinking bad stuff. So just be cocky and confident and conceited on the inside. You know, you need it. You need that. Um, there is a fine line. That's why you just keep it all up here. <laughs> keep it all in your mind. That way there is no line. But you're going to draw a line too. There's going to be a point in your mind where you're like, well, all right, I'm taking it too far. Nah. Keep taking well, it, keep pushing it. And what you're telling people to do is to be confident, to believe in themselves, to love themselves. That's very different than telling them to be prideful and conceited and think that they're better than others, right? You could be confident in your own abilities and really know that you're able to put your mind to something and get it done without thinking that you're better than anybody else, mm -hmm. without valuing your soul as higher than anybody. As long as you have respect for human dignity and other people, that's not conceited. You can believe in yourself and have confidence without being prideful and arrogant. You know, that's why I love the Asian cultures, uh, uh, um, what are they called? The shows. The shows that they have, like Ninja Warrior. Everybody has a chance to win. They're, they're not like, you know, kicking each other out of the house and having eliminations. Everybody has a chance to win the gold. All you got to do is defeat the course. The course is the enemy not the other players and so you can that's why I, that's why i said about the you know cocky and conceited yeah if i make it up mount midoriyama on ninja warrior and you know i beat my previous time i'm gonna celebrate it 
I'm gonna celebrate it loud and proud in my mind. And then, you know, I might not go too loud and proud outside of that. But um, uh, yeah, that's right. and I think in in this example, the enemy is the ego in many ways. The mm -hmm. ego has many names. Some yes. people will call it your, you know, your satan or your opponent or the adversary. And it's that same thing. It's the part of you that's working against you. That's working to keep you small, keeping you stuck, keeping you from being able to own yourself and own your, you know, full power and your authenticity. That's the ego. It exists in your mind, and the more of it that you are aware of, the more you're able to combat it and say, oh, there's my doubt again, there's my fear again, there's my pride again. Okay, so what's the opposite? What would I do if I wasn't acting with doubt, if I wasn't acting with fear? And then, how do you overcome it? You do the exact opposite. You understand what your nature is, and you go against your nature. That's how you grow as a person. That's how you elevate yourself. And catching your ego as soon as possible. That's the thing. Um, so many people, and it's, it's, it kills me, uh, so many of my loved ones, I found out just, just recently, most of the scenarios they're running throughout the day are losing scenarios. They're scenarios where they don't come out on top at the end. And that just pains me. It pains me to hear that they're even taking it there. You know, if your ego's going at a mile a minute and throwing doubt and shame and all this shade your way, catch it as soon as you can and end it. At the end of the day, it's just a thought. It's it's not real. It's not what's really happening. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. I always tell people, you think you know where your kids are going to be tonight? And they're like, yeah, they're my kids. I know that. And I said, no, a meteor could come hit and end all this right now. You don't know where they're going to be. You don't have control over anything at all except your thoughts. Right, they say man plans and God laughs. There we go. There we go. <laughs> That's a good one. Now, I wanted to ask, this is actually personal for me. Um, I'm about to get a little therapy session right here on the radio, you guys. And uh, this was not planned, so we get to catch Anna off, off guard a little bit. But, I, you know, she's intuitive. She should be able to handle it. I personally, um, for some reason, I see myself as, you know... This is average guy, you know, making $25,000 a year, you know, living, you know, not in the hood, but, you know, kind of close to the hood and, and, you know, struggling a little bit, you know, taking one vacation a year with the family. That's, for some reason, I can't figure it out. <laughs> for some reason, I truly do see myself as that person. And that's not me. You know, I'm retired. I've been retired for 10 years. I don't live anywhere near the hood. I got a big house. I'm constantly taking flights places. So I have to proactively, I call it intense visualization. I have to proactively remind myself that I'm not in that situation. I have to sit. I like a lot of times I'll go outside and, and, and when I'm meditating or whatever, I'll go outside and I'll sit back and I'll just look at my house and I'm like, ah, don't be stupid. Appreciate that house. Why do I feel like I live in a shack and I, I, I can't shake it? I can't shake it. I, I constantly have to remind myself that I'm doing better than bad. Right. And I think it's probably two things, Mia. Tell me if this resonates. First is there's a fear of owning your full power. And second, there is somebody in your life who you're afraid of being better than, probably a parent, probably your father. And that there is someone who you've trumped, and it's very scary to trump them because it doesn't feel safe for some reason. You know, I, I, I we come back to the first part, but the second part, um, I had to say it's my father. You know, my father's my idol. You know, he's been a god to me uh, my whole life. 
and uh, he's also been my best friend my whole life and um you know i actually retired before him and you know my house is bigger than his and I, and and i guess you could say trumped him in in certain areas and it is kind of scary and where i'm headed now you know trying to do my thing with the Oprah winfrey network and trying to go big with everything um you know i can actually i can actually see that um but the first part would you say what was the first one that it's scary to own your full power and that actually is on the heels of the first thing because owning your full power means and accepting the fact that you in certain ways could be bigger than dad and dad might not be happy with that it might be scary for you to do that because somehow we often need our father figures to be bigger than us to be parental protective and suddenly here you are trumping dad what happens then I don't know. <laughs> like I'm just, you just blew my mind real quick. I'm trying, I'm over here trying to digest it. I I don't know. I never thought that would be a problem. You know, when I when I got the house, um, you know, about six miles from his house, and it was slightly bigger. I didn't. I don't remember feeling anything. I don't know. Well, how can I how can I get over it? How can I get past that? What how is there? That, how does tell me about your relationship with Dan? How does Dad feel about your success? Is he super supportive? It sounds like you guys are yes. actually very tight. Yeah, yeah, he's super supportive. Uh, you know, he calls me all the time. Anytime I have a big event or anything like that, you know, he'll make sure everything went cool. You know, he makes sure he makes sure I'm smiling. And every he's actually very proud of you. Yes, yes, and everything. Yeah. And know, he identifies with your success, and he doesn't in any way. He, he there hasn't been a competition with you and Dad. No, you know what it is? My dad has never been materialistic. He's never been out and bought a bunch of things and, and all that other stuff. He's always just been happy with life. You know, so for for me to be getting all of these things, it, I, I don't think he could ever see it as a competition. It's just, you know, it's just not him. And he's very happy with me smiling. That's then what he maybe, wants. You know, what you're saying kind of, Staying connected to your more primitive roots or to the roots that are less materialistic, is that a way of staying connected more to dad? Is that almost something not that dad is urging you to do, but that your soul wants to do to stay identified with this man who you're so close to, who is probably one of your best friends and who's not materialistic. So kind of reminding yourself that you come from humble origins and like using that as a sense, like that that's not something that we can see, that's something that reminds you where you come from. Okay, okay, my humble origins. Yeah, because I, I am kind of torn. Uh, I'm The only thing I need to make me happy is a good view and, and a good temperature, which obviously we don't have good temperature right now. Everybody, we're in, I'm in New Jersey and she's in New York <laughs> and it's freezing outside. But those are truly the only things that I need, you know, to be happy outside of family. But on, on you know, on another note, I do like my Gucci. You know, I do like my Gucci and cars and, and, you know, I like to be a little flashy and flamboyant sometimes, which he is not. You know, that's that's one thing he's not. And I know he doesn't like it when I flash. You know what I mean? So, you know, maybe that has part to do with it. But I, I, I'm still on the same note. I I feel bad that I have to remind myself that I'm not poor. Like, mm -hmm. why, why do I have to remind myself constantly that I'm not poor? Does your dad see himself as poor? No, as no. We've, that? No. Nah, we've mm -hmm. all we've always been, you know, uh, I guess you could say upper middle class. He was a, a police sergeant, so he was he always made good money. Um, mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I, I just, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, and what would it mean to give yourself permission to no longer be poor? <sighs> I don't know, like a huge weight would be lifted off of my chest, you know. Yeah, and, I, and that fear on some level is present in your soul because there must be some adaptive value to it. What role is that serving? Is it serving the role of somehow keeping you safe? Because what if you actually do give up that part of your old identity, find that it's no longer serving you, leave it behind, and then what grounds you, what tethers you, what anchors you? Who are you then? Who are you without that little piece of your identity that in a way you're still trying to run away from? You know what I think it is? Um, I think that, I don't think it's the poor aspect. It's the always reach, always gunning for the next thing. You know, if you ask anybody who knows me, I always got four different things going on, you know, business-wise, uh, different sources of income and, and things of that nature. And if I wasn't constantly gunning for that next, uh, I hate to say paycheck, because I, I don't like to get into finances too much. I try to stay away from money as much as I can. But, you know, obviously I'm pursuing the next thing in my life. And without that pursuit, I know I would be bored and I know life would be miserable. When I first retired, you know, I went through, you know, what most people go through when they retire, just the lack of purpose. You know, you feel like you don't have purpose. You start to, you know, your head goes to ugly places. And so I guess that pursuit of always chasing that next thing, I have to, I have to feel like I'm broke in order to drive myself to work harder. You know, to, to get that next thing. I, I don't know. I don't know what's that. that makes, I think that makes so much sense. And it's essentially like there's a little bit of this inferiority complex, which everybody has in some way, shape, or form. And for everybody, it manifests in a different way. And so in order to compensate or overcompensate for that, you have tried to achieve so much, be so successful, retire early, have this amazing show, go to Oprah Winfrey. This is your way of overcompensating for this you know, on some level, feeling of inferiority. And this is such a normal human thing. And then the question is, at what point is enough enough? And at what point does that void become filled? And are you able to release that sense of, I am not enough? You know what, that's the scary part. You know, I've asked myself a couple times, you know, if I made $10 billion this year, would I slow down? No. I wouldn't. <laughs> as soon as I as soon as I hit ten billion, I'm like, okay, twenty, you know, and it's and it's there's no stop, there's no chill. Uh, you know, I always tell people I haven't taken a day off, you know, from this meditation, manifesting, learning more about thoughts become things. I haven't taken a day off uh, in the past ten years, you know, and but but that's because I love it so much. I love talking to God. I love being spiritual. It just makes me feel good. There's a part of my day where I'm actually like, you know. I want to do this, you know, and that's, that's why I tell people, if you really get into meditation and you really get into spirituality and being comfortable with God, then it'll be a great thing. Um, wanting to talk to God, I think is a big thing. I think it's a big thing. A lot of people kind of don't want to talk to God because they're scared they're going to think the wrong thing. They're going to think something ill or something bad, and so they kind of stay away from that conversation. But when you connect and you get that oneness going and you got it it's it's a great thing it's a great conversation so let me ask you then i think that i think you make such an important beautiful point when you talk to god when you connect with god and when you ask god god why do i still go back to this place what role is it serving in my life what does god tell you 
But I gotta be honest, I never asked him that before. Hmm? I never, I never actually asked that question. Or maybe I should. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. There's so, you know, there's so many different practices, so many good practices that you do that some of them just fall to the side just because you're learning new ones and as people we get used to things. Um, asking and waiting for an answer uh, is something that I really haven't done in a while. Plus, I've been so busy. That's not an excuse. <laughs> and, and I wonder if, because you are so motivated and you are so successful, and if a large part of that success does indeed, just like you said, come from having something that you're pushing against, that you're running away from a little bit, you know? It's in that state of compensating for some feeling of I'm not good enough that you've been able to achieve so, so much as so many people have. So many people are pushed and fueled by precisely that. And what if on some level there's a part of you that fears, if you started to feel enough that I am enough, and if you were able to own that, what if your motivation were to go away, if your ambition were to go away? Some people feel that what drives them isn't actually their soul, but really striving and fighting against something that's been their whole life. Yeah, I think that I've said that to myself a couple times. Like if, like if I was just a quick example, if I was, if I was ever to know it all, to know everything, I would be so bored that life would just become torture for me, you know. And it's like, I don't know. It's like when you said when you said I was. I don't think I don't see myself as successful. I really don't. Like everything that I achieve, everything that I've done, to me, it's just like I don't. I don't see it. And I and that's why I was saying I have to a lot of time a lot of days I have to remind myself, you know I am retired. You know I was retired at 28. How many people get to do that? You know what I mean. And and I don't say that as a bragging point. I say that as like like oh wow, like oh crap like that's like you know that's that's a lot of people call me lucky. I don't believe in luck. You know so you know I would rather take it to a divine spot. Whereas um, I learned the secret, I learned the laws of attraction, I learned how to use that along with talking to God to get what I want, and I got it, so you know, I'm on to something, and that's why you know, I try to teach other people you know, how to manifest what they want out of life too. But it's that success. Like I don't, no matter what I do, I get this show on Oprah Winfrey, like as soon as I get it, it's like the gambling. When you win, you're happy for a split second and you're thinking about the next one. And I Does it have feel to. Like an addiction? Does it feel like an addiction ever? That the more of it that you have, the emptier you feel. I, you know what? I, I had to say yeah, and it's and it's sad. It really is sad because I know so many people like this. They can't enjoy their small victories, or the large victories, because they're just push on to the next one, push on to the next one. Right, and we in society we use all sorts of ways to fill that emptiness, including. Fame, power, status, achievement, you know, money. And that's just the psychological ways. We also use, you know, behaviors, uh, our iPhones, internet, sex, love, all of that. And then, of course, people use drugs. This is like the most common addictions. They use all these things to fill their inner void. And then the question becomes, what happens if we give these up? What's that void like? What's the nature of the void? How do we welcome that void into our life? and sit with that, what would it tell us? What messages would it have for us? See, when you say that, you make me think of, I'm, I, there's a void, you know? I'm, I'm not feeling the success. There's a void. Um, I'm with, and a void means you're not fulfilled. And that actually makes me think about your book, 
<laughs> and this book is actually called Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Helps You Live a Happier and More Meaningful Life. And um, I want to I wanna actually talk about that because I think that that right there is going to help me with my issues <laughs> and the people listening with uh, some of theirs. So give us a little bit about the book and, you know, what, what we can expect from it. Yes, absolutely. Right. So really, I think that, Neo, what you mentioned, what you've been sharing about your journey, and thank you so much for being so open and honest and authentic mm -hmm. with me and sharing this, you know, with me and our audience. Um, I feel like your question of how do I fill my void, how do I feel like I'm enough, is really the central question of the book. And it gives people concrete tools to try to feel fulfilled in life, recognizing full well that fulfillment isn't a destination, but it's a lifelong journey. And it's like, as I say, peeling layers of an onion. And we all have a number of layers that we need to peel to get to our core self, to get to true fulfillment. Recognizing also that fulfillment comes in moments. It's not a static process. It's more a dynamic process. It comes and it goes. And the three primary core beliefs that I try to help people shift in this book is, number one, that I am alone and shifting that belief to I am interconnected with everybody and everything. Okay, the oneness. Okay. Yes, the oneness of it all. The second belief is that I am powerless or I am a victim and helping people shift that to I have agency in my life and I can tr I create the life I want to live. And the third one is I am disconnected from my soul to I am interconnected and aligned with my soul. <clears throat> because at the root of that is authenticity. Authenticity is our, so our sense and source of true power in our lives. Oftentimes people think power comes from material success that it comes from, you know, the cars we have, from our Gucci bags, from the achievements, etc., or from dominating and controlling other people. And those are all forms of power, but they're false power or inauthentic power. Mm -hmm. True power or authentic power, as Gary Zuka writes, is when you're aligned with your soul, when you're doing what you're meant to do in this world. And it doesn't come from anything external. It comes more from what's internal. And that makes me think, actually, Neil, about your father. It sounds like your father actually is a man who really owns his power because his power doesn't come from materialism. It comes from something within him. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's a religious man, a spiritual man, but it sounds like he is, like he's somehow tapped in and he's aligned with his soul and he's able to feel a lot of joy in his life and also joy for his son and identifying with your own success. Yeah, that sounds like him. That definitely sounds like him. Uh, I just wanted to mention real quick the whole fulfillment uh, the whole fulfillment thing. I, ha I always say this about enlightenment too. It's not like a black belt. I need everyone to understand this is not like a black belt to where you get it, you have it forever. You, ha you are fulfilled when you feel fulfilled. So if you feel fulfilled for five minutes and for the rest of the 24 hours in a day you don't, then you were fulfilled for five minutes. It is what it is. It's, it's not. Uh, so many people think enlightenment the same way. Oh, I'm enlightened for the rest of life. No, no. If you get some bad news and you start watering some bad seeds, vibrating at a bad frequency, you are no longer there. Each moment is special and deserves its individual attention and energy to maintain positivity. Can you stay positive in the face of negative? That's one of the. That's one of the biggest things 
on there. The oneness. That's so powerful. What you're saying is so powerful, and it takes faith and trust to do that. Now, I wanted to touch on the oneness in the book because that's that's another big struggle I have when speaking with people who aren't spiritual, haven't been spiritual their whole lives, and didn't really learn spirituality from their parents. You know, other than you know going to church and learning about like Moses and stuff like that. Um, the oneness. How do you get that point across to people? You know, because it's, it's awfully hard for me to believe I'm one with you when you're sitting right there and I'm sitting here. And to take it a step further, it's awfully hard for people to believe, not me, for people to believe that they're one with God when God is up there, they're down there. God will punish you if you do wrong and send you to hell and I wouldn't punish me. So we can't be one. Those are the questions that I get. Those are the, I, all the time. So how, you know, I know you address this in the book, you know, how you get the oneness on there. So t tell me how you put that together. Wow, yeah, definitely. And, and such huge questions because I often have patients come to me. Some are spiritual, some are not. And if they're not, some of them want to be spiritual. And they say, I want to believe. I want to use these spiritual tools. But I just don't know if I believe in this whole oneness thing. Like, how do I even know? What proof <laughs> do we have for it? You know, because... In large part, the proof of it comes from things like quantum physics, which is only beginning to be deciphered and understood. And what I will often say to patients is, if you want some proof, if you want a sign, yes, you could look towards science, it exists. But also, you can start ask, asking for your own subjective proof for signs. If you want to believe in God, and if you want to believe that there's something greater. So that's something greater. It could be God, but you can also see it as a loving energy as the universe, as mother nature, as so many other things that have nothing to do with the G word that some people sadly find offensive. It really is an all-encompassing energy. And it's not a punitive energy. Some people believe in a punitive God. But no, God is really there. And it's like the law of attraction. God will give to you that which you give to God. That's why God is also always forgiving. If it, you are doing something positive, God will always forgive. And it's really just more like it's God is an amoral force. People think that God is this moral, mm -hmm. morally punitive force. It's yes. not. It's really an amoral, energetic force. And I will say to patients who want to believe, to let's ask for a sign. Let's ask for a sign as to what you're supposed to do about this important decision. And let's ask for a sign in such a way that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this sign is meant for you. Mm -hmm. You can ask that. We don't know 100% the sign's gonna come, but I found in my practice to patients who truly were open to it, they always get a sign and they always know that it's their sign. So that's one powerful way of tapping in and giving people a little bit of a sense of that oneness in a very concrete, tangible way that people could appreciate and interact with. Thoughts become things. I love it. I, I, I did this thing with The Secret where, um, I, I forget what exactly what he said, but he was talking about use the, the small noises, the clicks, the beeps you might hear in the background. Use them as a wake up, you know, to bring you back to the moment. And I use them as signs, you know, to, to wake me up to the moment. And I'm like, man, how can I get more signs? You know, it's almost like magic to make something over there just click behind the wall, you know, and but you can. All you have to do is use thoughts become things. Use the laws of attractions. Appreciate a sign that you did get. Even if you didn't want to imagine that you did get one, appreciate it just for a second and you'll get a sign. You'll get a click. The air conditioner will click on at the right time or something will beep or something will happen and it will wake you up and use it. 
use that as a as a way to to bring yourself back to the present. Use that as a way to communicate with God. You know, out of nowhere in the middle of the day when when you're having a stressful day and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to talk to God. A lot of times we don't remember to do that. Use these signs to do that. Manifest these signs into your life so you can use them to do that. That's that is so 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 powerful. Um, just a real quick side note. The Watcher, they touch on it a little bit in The Secret, and it's what kind of started me on my path. Um, a long time ago, th basically this is what happened. I, I was in a room with no windows, it was quiet, and I did something silly. I stubbed my toe, tripped, or something like that. I kind of felt embarrassed, and I felt that Watcher. You know, that watcher watching you, that feel like there's a camera on you. I felt that, and I, and I said to myself, you know what, I felt that before. A bunch of times you know and I know everybody else feels it too but what I noticed when I thought that was I knew the watcher knew what I was thinking too it wasn't just watching me it was in here and I'm like okay watching me at all times even when I'm not noticing it watching everyone and it can hear my thoughts that sounds like God to me <laughs> I mean I don't know what <laughs> sounds like God to me and so I sat back and for the first, I say this is my first conversation with God. That was my first conversation with God. I acknowledged the watcher. I brought it in like a camera watching me. And I conversated with it. I talked with it. And what I asked it was, I said, I've always been obsessed with the human brain. Okay? I want to sit at home, study the human brain, and help people on a larger scale. Carefree, no bills, no schedules, no money. And that little voice, that little intuitive voice in the back of the head that, that'll tell you duck or turn left, that voice said to me, okay, but whatever information I give you, you have to share it. No matter how silly it may sound, you have to share it. And, you know, of course I agreed. And shortly after I was retired doing this, you know, that was, that was my, that's my story. That's how I retired from the police department at the age of 28, um, just off of manifesting. The movie The Secret was a huge, uh, obviously, the biggest influence on that, learning that thoughts become things, um, which is something I think I always knew. You know, I was really big on football and I would always just visualize. I would, before the games, I would just sit back and visualize. And people would be like, what are you doing? You know, back in the, this is back before cell phones, back before the internet, you know, for somebody to just sit there and be dazing off, um, you know, as opposed to hanging out with the gang before the football game, you know, they, they would always ask me, what are you doing? I'd tell them I'm, I'm visualizing. I'm watching all the touchdowns that I'm scoring. I'm seeing them all up here, you know. Now, how much into visualizing do you get with your personal life? Like you personally, how much do you take time out of your day to see yourself doing certain things? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And, of course, the answer is I need to do more. <laughs> yeah. um, but I um, probably do it for at least five minutes every night. When I go to sleep, before I go to sleep, I try to visualize the next day. And I go through the day and I try to program it to be exactly as I want it. And my first experience with visualization was actually when I was a resident. I'd heard about visualization, never tried it before. And I had this one unit that I would come to and I was just completely slammed. You would get there, you'd have 80 patients to see, there was never enough time, you're running around like a crazy person. So I was like, what would happen if suddenly like there was half the number of patients or like suddenly I came in one day and they're like, wow, everybody got discharged today. Everybody's better. <laughs> so I started visualizing this kind of as a joke for myself because I'm like, these are just the craziest days ever. They can't get any crazier. Might as well try to put some positive mm -hmm. thoughts. 
And then lo and behold, it actually started happening. I would come in and there was only half the number of patients to see and a quarter of the number of patients to see. And this was unheard of in this unit. And so suddenly I found myself able to have a lunch break, to twiddle my thumbs a little bit during the day, to actually walk as opposed to run to all my different patients. So I was like, wow, this really, really works. And that was my first experience with visualization. Now, I need you guys to fully understand what you just heard. Anna shifted everything around her with her mind. The patients, who was coming in where, which means it shifted their life at home. She shifted all that. And I know so many people will hear that and be like, oh, you can't do that. People can't do that. And I got one question for everyone who's saying that. How's that been working out for you? That mentality, how's that been working out for you? Because it worked for her. It's working for me. And I suggest y'all get on the same page because it does work. You know, they don't call it the millionaire secret for no reason. These people are using it. That's what I did. I studied millionaires and billionaires and they all were saying the same thing. Thoughts become things. Now, biggest, biggest, biggest part about thoughts become things is knowing your ability. If you think you can't do anything, then you can't do anything. The second point in your book you said was about people being powerless, right? Showing people their power. That's another huge thing that I struggle with. I always ask people to try to, I tell them to close their eyes, I try to envision themselves being unlimited. And within 30 seconds of talking, they can't. They can't, and it makes sense. Your whole life you're shown limitations. As a baby, you can only reach so far, you can only jump so high, you can only scream so far. Your whole life you're shown limitations. Your parents, they go grocery shopping, they can't go too much, you know, they can, whatever your situation is. Your whole life you're shown limitations, and now all of a sudden this new way of thinking comes around. And we, we're asking you to try to imagine yourself with unlimited powers, unlimited abilities. Now, how is it that you, you know, in the book and in, and, and in your work, how is it that you get people to see their true power? Yeah, and you know, often people come in because they are in some form of pain. They're in some form of suffering. It's at times like this when people hit the rock bottom that they are most open to trying something new, whatever that be. Whether that is mm -hmm. trying a therapy, whether that's trying medication, whether it's trying a visualization or meditation technique, and what a beautiful thing. So I actually have people who come in with, you know, issues where they <clears throat> feel stuck and they can't break free. And one of the first things we do is we start visualizing them breaking free. And this could be in a relationship. It could be in a job. It could be in their own abilities to do something, to be more organized, to focus better. Sure, we could try ADHD medication, but first let's actually try having your mind focus on you actually focusing better. Start envisioning yourself able to concentrate, working faster, being more organized. Let's see if that has any effect. And people love that. They love to be able to shift their minds with their own minds. And it's, it's powerful and it's possible and it works. Now that's a real doctor right there. You heard what she said, of course we can try ADHD medicine, but let's try something else first. Let's try working on you first. Before we introduce an outside, you know, element into your chemical balance, let's try working on you first. I love that. I love that. I just wanted to circle back real quick, and I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I heard that the last five minutes of your night, because you were talking about before you go to sleep, uh, the last five minutes before you go to sleep, what you're thinking about, that'll basically dictate what you dream about for the next eight hours. Is there any truth to that? 
It's interesting. I um, am not someone who remembers all my dreams always. And the ones I often remember are the ones that I remember right upon awakening. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I've ever correlated my last thought of the night to that which I most dream about. However, what you're saying, there probably is truth to that because there's been a lot of studies using a practice called dream incubation, where you can actually program your dreams through the last thoughts that you think at night. And a lot of artists, mathematicians, scientists will use this to solve difficult problems in their life. They will work on a problem, for instance, a mathematician throughout the day, get to the point where they've done all they can, and then at night program their mind to say, as I sleep, I will come up with a solution to this problem and awaken with an answer. Or I will awaken with some knowledge and clarity as to what I should do about this difficult decision in my life. And then you're programming your unconscious mind to work while you're asleep. Mm -hmm. And upon awakening, often people will have a whole new level of clarity or a solution to a problem that they didn't have before. And this has been shown scientifically by a Harvard psychiatrist named Deidre Barrett. This is her work, and she has a book called Committee of Sleep. It's really fascinating. See, that's what I'm talking about. I like that. I like that. So I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. What you think about right before you go to sleep is going to dictate the next eight hours. 60,000 thoughts on average per day for a person. One-third of that is probably going to be in those eight hours of sleep. So make sure you're molding the right thing. So no stress and no drama right before you go to sleep. And a quick side note. Try it. Tonight, before you go to sleep, tell yourself, just real quick, I'm so happy and thankful that I remembered my dream today. I'm telling you, when you wake up, you're going to remember at least one dream. I'm telling you, I've actually tried that a couple times, and it has definitely worked. Uh, the third part in the book, Disconnecting from the Soul. Do you think that anyone could ever truly disconnect from the soul? I know people can feel like they have, but I, in my mind, I'm kind of like, you don't really disconnect. Just like you can manifest bad things into your life, and you can manifest good things into your life. You know, I don't think you're ever truly disconnected. You just might feel that way. Like, how, how, mm -hmm. how did you go with it? Absolutely. Your soul is always there and is always trying to communicate with you and help you and guide you and give you wisdom and clarity. Whether we listen to our soul is a whole different question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a lot of people will equate their soul with intuition. Intuition is that still quiet voice that can only be heard when the shouting of your thoughts and your emotions temporarily ceases. Then that still quiet voice can be heard, and that's your intuition or the voice of your soul. That intuition is when you're present. That's the whole thing when you're present. When you're thinking about something that could potentially happen in the future, taking educated guesses at what could happen, you're not being present. You're thinking about the future. You're manifesting things into your life that feel like that. When you think about the past, it's the same thing, but when you get present, that's when all the, the good stuff come. Like Everybody says, oh, that came to me out of nowhere. That's where it came from. From that nowhere, that stillness, that peaceful area, you know. Now, the film, An Open Mind. Tell me a little bit, give me a little bit more information about that. Sure. So, An Open Mind, which I'm making with our colleagues, and we're looking for our last round of funding right now to complete it, is on a similar topic to the book Fulfilled. It looks at those times in our life where we have meaningful coincidences or synchronicities with the people in our lives or in my own life with my patients. And that's when, for instance, you think about somebody and then they call you. Mm -hmm. Or you have a dream about somebody you haven't heard from in years 
and then you bump into them on the street the next day. It's about those ways in which we're interconnected with one another, in which we harness that unity, and how that can be explained from a scientific standpoint. And it focuses on synchronicity, interconnectedness, immortality, and consciousness. Those four concepts from a scientific and quantum physics standpoint. And we interview the top spiritual experts and also the top medical experts to get both the spiritual and scientific perspective on how do we explain this? How do we explain what's going on in those situations? Okay, and you said, when do you think that's going to be out? Well, we're looking for the last round of funding now. As soon as we get that, we need a little bit less than a year, probably nine months, and then it's going to be done. Nice. That's nice. Because when you said that, uh, actually, um, I was just looking for it now. On the back of my business card that I give people, um, it says, um, I'm trying to see if this is the one right here. Basically, it says, you know how you think about somebody and they end up texting you a little bit later on? Well, that energy transfer, that magic can be used to get more than a phone call. You know, and then I have to, I have to say something at that, basically, what's, what seeds have you been watering or something like that. But, and people see that and they're like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm, it's funny because I have like a paragraph on the back of my business card. And, and business people, business-minded people will see that and be like, oh, that's a lot, man. You should, you should make it smaller, blah, 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 blah. But I tell you what, every single person I hand my card to reads front and back and then has a lot of questions. Everyone. Because this is something everyone experiences and you're talking about a universal human phenomenon that touches people. It's, it's, like, it's literally like magic. I tell people, and it's real, I've manifested things and incidents and situations into my life that are so freaky it makes my stomach turn. It's literally magic, and it's, it's, it's that magic, I, I call it magic, <laughs> it has pulled me away from science. Because I was really big on science before, numbers and facts and figures, but it's like, yo, there's so much going on that science just isn't going to be able to explain to me. And when I got into quantum physics, and, I, and it got too deep, and they started talking about all this other stuff that was just too much for my mind, it was like, okay, I just need to be on the blind faith side where it's just like I know that works I've been using it so far let me just keep using it and tweak it and twist it and make it a little bit more effective and keep teaching other people how to use it that's the biggest thing keep showing other people how to do it can you imagine a world where everyone was knew about the laws of attraction knew how to use it and were getting what they wanted I think it's beautiful. I think it's really, really powerful. It would be an amazing world. And in a way, already we have that world. But what's happening is that many people are drawing in things that they don't want because that's what they're putting their energy into. So you know, what you put your energy into, that's what comes into your life. We think about those things we don't want, that we're angry about, that we mm -hmm. fear. And we end up drawing more of that as opposed to pushing that away. What we want to focus on are those things that we deeply want. And to focus not just on wanting them, because then we draw in more of the state of wanting, but to focus on what it is like as though those things are already in our lives. To focus on the state of having those things, and then we draw in more of that state of having it. That is. I don't, I don't like to get too preachy, but Mark eleven twenty four. whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you already have it, and it will be yours. That's a Bible quote. If you want some common sense... See it before you do it. I know everyone's heard that before. Absolutely. <laughs> but, absolutely. But, but, you know, I think what I've encountered, the biggest thing is all the people that are slightly successful 
um, I don't want to say slightly successful, let's say upper middle class, let's do it like that, that know about the secret, they're 50% believers. They believe it for the good things that are happening in their life, but they don't believe in it because of the bad things that are happening in their life and because they're not millionaires yet. So they're 50-50 on the fence about it, and you can't be 50-50. You're either all in with this, which means you're owning the bad things that happen to you too. You're owning it. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, the secret is so powerful. That's right. You own the bad things that happen. And you also recognize that the contents of your mind, you can will certain things. You could attract certain things into your life. But there really is also something greater than you that is a higher force that dictates what it is that's going to come into your life. For instance, I could pretend that I'm going to be an elephant and I'm going to be willing to become an elephant tomorrow. But you know what? It's not in my life course in this lifetime to be an elephant. So no matter how much I think about it, it's not going to happen. And for some people, they could be willing things that's not part of their life course, and that's okay. So we put things out. We put out our thoughts, but we also succumb to the greater force that own, that has like a greater plan for you. You have an ultimate destiny. You have a higher destiny. But you want your best possible destiny and not something that's off your path. For instance, you can't will for someone who isn't meant to fall in love with you, fall in love with you. Oh, geez. You know, this is, this is the thing that people try to do. They try to, you know, undermine each other's free will. I am going to dream that that man's going to fall in love with me, and that's it. If that's part of your path, yeah, you can will it. You can use law of attraction. But if it's not, no amount of thinking is going to change that. Exactly. Exactly. Whatever the feeling is that you're feeling, that's what you're attracting into your life. An incident that gives you that same feeling again. So if your feeling is, I'm trying to will John Doe into falling in love with me, the universe will do whatever it has to do to make you feel again tomorrow. I'm trying to will John Doe to be in love with me. And so you wonder why he's not in love with you yet. That's why. Feel the love. I don't care what you got to do. Think about a previous relationship. Every night for five minutes, sit back and picture being in love. Feel being in love. How much you love it. And love will come your way. It might not be from John Doe. Like Anna said, John Doe might not be your guy. But when you do get it, it's going to be even better than John Doe. But you got to be open to it. If you're still focused on John Doe, you're not open to it. You exactly. So whenever you put in your prayers to God and what you want, always ask for what you want. But always add the caveat for the, the thing that is the greatest good for all involved. Because there might be something that's in your path that you can't even see that's much bigger than what you could ever imagine. Exactly. If you ever want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Because his plan is so much bigger than yours. Let his plan unfold. Staying present lets God's plan unfold. Think about the future, the past. You're manifesting incidents into your life. Staying present lets God plan for you unfold. And his plan is bigger than yours. Not to get all preachy with it, but it is what it is. Laws of attraction, this is life. You know, this is what we do. All right, Anna. Thank you for coming on. She's got her book fulfilled. You can get that anywhere in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere you can buy a book. Go get that book. You see what it covers. We could talk about this all day. We really could talk about this all day. It's a great subject. Anna, thank you very much for coming on the show and blessing us with your, your presence and your knowledge. Thanks so much, Nia. It was a pleasure. Of course, of course. We got to get together and do some stuff later on in the future. For now... This is Nehemiah Davila, a.k.a. Neo Positivity. Make sure you go to 
AnnaYusim.com, A-N-N-A-Y-U-S-I-M.com. You'll see her on some of my stuff, on, on some of my social media. And uh, check her out. Also, you know, of course, Neopositivity.com, my Facebook live streams, my show Off the Bench. Wish me luck. I'm heading to California to get with the Oprah Winfrey Network. Even though I don't believe in luck, I still use the word anyway. Thoughts become things. I already got it. <laughs> and I'll see you guys next time on Self-Discovery Radio's Thoughts Become Things International, retraining your thought process. Thank you to everybody who made this possible. Thank you, Sarah Troy, and thank you, God. Everyone, have a good day. Bye-bye.